Hello, Vision Nation. In this week's episode, we're going to cover the story of how Carl Icahn made a $2 billion profit on his investment in Apple. Carl didn't just buy the stock and wait until the market realized that it should be worth a lot more money. He bought shares and then he put a lot of pressure on Tim Cook and the Apple board to get them to increase their stock buyback program. That was Carl's key catalyst for getting a juicy return on this investment. It's an interesting take on how activist shareholders can unlock value in companies. We'll cover that story in this episode. I also want to mention that I'm working on a few things for the podcast right now, so for the time being, I'm going to be a little slower on releasing new episodes. My goal will be to get a new episode roughly every two weeks or so, but in some cases it might take longer than that. One of the things I'm working on is getting a website ready, and that should be coming soon. I'm also working on a few ways to make the episodes better and that can mean longer production times. So please bear with me, Vision Nation. The whole reason I'm doing this is to get higher quality and better episodes out to you guys. Also, if you guys have any feedback on the show or have suggestions for episodes or just want to say hi, you can reach me at my email, which is visionwallstreet at gmail.com. That's visionwallstreet at gmail.com. Anyway, I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks. Welcome to Wall Street Vision. This show is on true stories about markets and top investors. I'm Vlad Dolgochev. This show is for informational purposes only and is not investment advice. Check out the show notes for the full disclaimer. So Carl Icahn was born in Brooklyn in New York, and his parents were teachers. His parents didn't really have high hopes for Carl being a big success. But they told him that if he got into Yale, Harvard, or Princeton, they'd pay for his tuition. Now, no one in Carl's social circle or high school ever got accepted to any of those schools. So his parents were probably thinking that there's a fat chance that he would get in. Tuition was a lot cheaper back then. Today, those schools are like $200,000 for a four-year degree, but even back then they were pricey. Well, Carl being an insanely driven person, he ended up getting accepted to Princeton. His first challenge was to get a job so that he could support himself. His parents did offer to pay for tuition, but covering rent and groceries was all up to Carl. So he got a job at this Malibu beach club, and he was helping guests with whatever they needed. He was essentially like a busboy, server, attendant sort of a role. He ended up getting pretty friendly with some of the guests, and they would invite him to play poker with them. The first time he played poker, he lost all the tip money that he made that day. Now most people would have just said forget about it, and figured out that poker is not for them. But Carl went out and bought three books on poker strategy and read them cover to cover to cover. A lot of poker success depends on strategy and mathematics, and Carl learned those skills from the books. He went back to the poker table and started beating those same guys. He 
got so good at playing poker that he ended up doing it to support himself through his college years. Already you can get a glimpse into Carl's burning desire to win and his persistence and his lack of fear. Not surprisingly, he went on to have a great career on Wall Street. His core philosophy was to be an activist investor. What activist investors do is essentially buy a bunch of shares in a company, then make changes to the company to unlock hidden value. Sometimes the change might be to fire the CEO if they're doing a bad job, and other times it might be to sell off parts of the company and make changes to its business strategy. A lot of times this meant that he had to get tough with the company management, and that created a ton of conflict. There were people that really didn't like him. But one thing's for sure, a lot of the changes that Carl made to these companies really benefited the shareholders. He's had lots of interesting investments earlier in his career, but I'm going to skip over those because I want to focus on his Apple investment. So Carl got interested in Apple around 2013, and he figured that it was one of the best brands and companies, but at the time, Apple was trading at really low multiples. In 2013, its price-to-earnings ratio was around 9, which was just super low. The S&P 500 PE ratio was around 17 or 18 at the same time, and you could make a strong argument that Apple had better prospects than the average S&P 500 company. To put this into perspective, this was after Steve Jobs died and Tim Cook became the CEO. I think a lot of people weren't sure where Apple was going to go under Tim Cook's leadership. But Carl was super bullish on Apple's future. Carl had this positive gut feeling about Apple. But he also had a catalyst in mind to get the share price to move quickly. The catalyst was for Apple to do a massive share buyback. At the time, Apple had over $100 billion of cash just lying around, and the company wasn't doing anything with that cash. So Carl didn't just want to buy and hold, he wanted to unlock some hidden value by making Tim Cook and the board use the cash to buy back shares. I think the share buyback was a piece of the puzzle, but Carl was also very confident in Apple's business model. He really did his homework on the company, by the way. You can check out Carl's website where he lists all the research that they did. I'm going to link to it in the show notes. It's a great read for anyone who's interested in investing into individual companies because it gives you an idea of the depth of research that it takes to be one of these elite super investors. In their research, they broke everything down by each business segment and each product, making forecasts for Apple TV and the iPhone and the iPad and so on. They went super deep on their research. And on top of liking the company, Carl also really liked Tim Cook, who was the CEO, of course. And at the time, there were some other shareholders that didn't like Tim Cook. And they were even talking to Carl about potentially replacing Tim. But then Carl and Tim met for dinner, and Carl right away understood that Tim Cook was obsessed about Apple. And Tim was the dream type of CEO that would keep the amazing trajectory that the company was on.
Before we dive into what happened next, I'll quickly mention that if you're enjoying the podcast, please hit the subscribe button. And if you know someone who would find this content valuable, please share this episode with them. My goal for the podcast is to help people learn the lessons from the best investors and to help people understand the stock market better. This show doesn't have a marketing budget, so the only way we can grow is with your help. Thank you, Vision Nation. All right, back to the show. Carl didn't just want to buy the stock and sit quietly, hoping that the rest of the market would agree with his valuation of the stock. What he did instead was he bought a lot of shares. And by a lot, I mean that he went on to eventually own almost 1% of the total shares of the company. This was around $3.6 billion in 2014. And then he went very public with telling Tim Cook to do share buybacks. He was posting on his Twitter account, which had a couple hundred thousand followers at the time. Carl also released a series of public letters, and he commented on this in TV interviews as well. A lot of people were getting really annoyed with Carl at this point. They were getting annoyed because from their perspective, they thought that Carl should just approach Tim Cook personally, off the record, and get him to do the buybacks that way. But instead, Carl was doing all of this out in the open, and it was bringing a lot of attention to Apple and this whole buyback situation. But Carl is a smart guy. There's a good reason that he was taking the public route. Carl was on CNBC saying, quote, Owners should have things to say, and it is public because boards are human beings and sometimes they need a little pressure, end quote. You could imagine that the board members and Tim Cook were feeling a lot of pressure at this point. I'm sure they had people in their everyday life asking them about the situation because it was very public and it was front page news. Before we continue with what happened next, let's take a quick moment to discuss stock buybacks. This is going to get a little bit technical, but I'll try to use lots of examples to illustrate these concepts because these are good things for any investor to know. A stock buyback is when a company buys their own shares in the open market. What ends up happening is the shares that are bought are essentially absorbed or canceled out. So cash flows out of the company, shares flow in, and the shares that flow into the company end up getting canceled out. This means that after the buyback, there are less total shares outstanding for the company. So each shareholder that didn't sell their shares during the buyback now owns a larger piece of the business. That makes sense, right? If there are 100 total shares out there, then each share is worth 1% of the business. If the company buys back 90 shares, now there's only 10 shares remaining out of there in the market, then each share is now worth 10% of the business. It's pretty simple. Buybacks are just one way for companies to return capital to shareholders. Paying out dividends is another way that companies do this. Now one benefit of share buybacks 
is that they tend to increase the stock price without existing shareholders having to pay tax. Here's a simple example. If I hold Apple shares and Apple does a $100 billion buyback, each one of my shares is going to be worth more and I don't need to pay tax until I sell my shares. Now compare that to a dividend. If Apple took $100 billion and paid out a special dividend, I would get the dividend because I'm a shareholder. But I would also have to pay tax on it. So shareholders like buybacks because of this preferential tax treatment. In investing, it's good to delay paying tax as long as you can because that keeps your money compounding for a longer time period. And if you stay invested for many years, it can make a big difference to your total return. I do want to mention that there is some controversy around share buybacks because companies should really only do them when they can buy their shares at a cheap price. But companies don't always do this. All right, now that we have that out of the way, let's get back to the Carl Icahn and Apple story. This whole buyback issue that we just discussed is exactly why Carl confirmed with Tim Cook that the Apple shares were undervalued. And it's also why Carl made such a big emphasis on showing that the shares should be worth a lot more money. Those two points were the crux of his pitch for the buybacks. And those two points gave him the ammunition he needed to push the Apple board to increase their share buybacks. The reason Carl went so public with his analysis is that he wanted to have a catalyst for the shares to increase in price. And the catalyst that he had in mind was for Tim Cook and the Apple board to agree to use Apple's massive cash pile to buy shares. And of course, Carl went public on Twitter and CNBC, and he was writing these letters that he was putting out. And this put a ton of pressure on Tim Cook and the Apple board, and it really got the ball rolling on these buybacks. Carl's plan worked. And the pressure that he put on Tim Cook and the board resulted in them buying around $110 billion worth of shares in the three years after Carl came into the picture. And that's a huge increase compared to the stock buybacks that Apple was doing before Carl got involved. Of course, Carl was pushing for Apple to buy back even more shares. At one point, he put forward this tender offer request for Apple to buy back $150 billion worth of shares, which was just an insane amount. But Tim Cook and the Apple board rejected that idea. By 2016, the position that Carl held in Apple was now worth $2 billion more than what he initially paid. The buybacks had a lot to do with that huge gain. At that point, Carl sold off his holdings and made a profit of a cool $2 billion in under three years of holding the stock. With some rough back-of-the-envelope calculations, this is a gain of around 56%, which is just remarkable considering he invested billions of dollars 
That type of return in that short time frame is a huge win considering the amount of money he was investing. Now the even crazier thing is that after Carl sold out of Apple, Apple went on to have amazing success across lots of different product categories. So if he held his shares today, they'd be worth around $22 billion. So there's another good lesson here as well. Warren Buffett talks about this when he says that once you own a terrific business, it's good to hold it for a long time instead of selling too early. And this is a perfect example of that. One more thing I want to mention about share buybacks is that you see a lot of headlines about people being against them. So I want to mention that share buybacks on their own are not good or bad. They're kind of like dividends. They're just a way for companies to return capital to shareholders. Now buybacks can be a bad thing when the CEO is buying back shares of the company at a time when the shares are way too overpriced. And it's also not a great look if a firm uses up all of its cash to buy back shares and then their business hits a rough patch and all of a sudden they start asking the government for a bailout. But the way Apple was using buybacks in this story is a great example of when share buybacks are used responsibly. All right, Vision Nation, that wraps it up for this episode. If you've enjoyed it, please hit the subscribe button. And if you know someone who's interested in investing, please share this episode with them. Thank you, and I hope you have an amazing day. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon as the basis for investment decisions. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. I may maintain positions in the securities discussed on this podcast. This show is copyrighted by the Wall Street Vision. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.